Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Your bank should be solving your problems, not creating them. Platinum Bank partners with Twin Cities executives to help them grow their business. Learn more online at PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. I didn't have a business model at this point. I had an idea, had some ways that I thought we were going to make money, and I kept pivoting. And I can guarantee a lot of my investors are probably getting frustrated, but, but I refuse to give up. And I think the mission is the only reason why we're still here. And because I was going, well, if I don't do it, I don't see anyone else that's going to operate in this space the way that, that I feel that I'm operating in the sense that I'm completely selfless in the mission. And if I make money ultimately in the end, great. But the, if, if I achieve the mission, I'm fulfilled. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. Sports saved Tyree Burke's life. School teams kept him off the Chicago streets. Football and track got him to college. And a career in the Canadian Football League allowed him to save up the money he needed to start his own business related to, you guessed it, youth sports. Today, Tyree's company, Players Health, stands poised to become one of the largest insurance providers for youth sports teams in North America. The company has raised $30 million toward that goal, and in April, it acquired a Dallas-based life benefits company. Tyree recently won a Regional Entrepreneur of the Year Award for Players Health. It's an overnight success story more than a decade in the making. And that's what we're going to focus on today, the mission that guides Tyree's business decisions, the mistakes he's learned from along the way, the connections that help him keep advancing and taught him to pivot and pivot again until he discovered an opportunity even bigger than where he started. But none of it could have happened without his own personal experience, starting on a wrestling mat and a track and a field. I grew up south side of Chicago, single mother. You did two things when you grew up where I grew up from. You either played sports or you were in the streets. Mm-hmm. And for me, I found, a, I found a safe haven in place in sports where I could, I could develop. And it was really, it was life-changing for me. And that's why I feel like I have a, a strong affinity for sports because I remember what it was like for me kind of ex- discovering who I was going to be. Mm-hmm. Sports helped me all along the way. So when I grew up, sports was everything. I played every sport you could think of, mm. baseball, basketball, football. I swam. I wrestled, track, everything. Wow. Don't those <laughs> seasons overlap? How do you even do that? I think it was a progression. My first sport was wrestling, actually. Huh? And then I was in the band. And one year I was in the band playing in our homecoming. The next year I was playing in our homecoming. And I didn't play, uh, I didn't play football until my junior year of high school. Mm. But prior to that, yeah, I, was, I, I wrestled. And then, and then I, I swam all the way through high school. So I ran, uh, as a freshman, I also, while I was wrestling, I swam. And then I ran track in college. And, but, but you played football as well. Exactly. Okay. Football and track in college. Yep. And college was where? So I went to, I had a, 
roundabout journey to get to where I, where I ended up at was Winona State. But I started out at a junior college at uh, Harper College. Mm-hmm. I, that's where I ran track and I played football. Okay. I ended up getting a full ride scholarship to go to Winona State. And that's how I found my Minnesota roots, so to speak. Got it. Very cool. Um, did you think you would stay? I did. I loved <laughs> really? it. Honestly, I went kicking and screaming. I always tell people it was the decision I never made. Uh-huh. So I had a bunch of like partial Division One scholarships. And I had these full ride scholarships to all Division Twos. And, you know, all kids that want to play, you know, at the next level, NCAA, they want to play at a Division One school. And I'm like, I'm going to Toledo mm-hmm. on a partial. My mom's like, no, we don't have money. You have these three full rides to Division Twos. You, here's your choice. Matter of fact, I love Winona. You're going there. Mm. And I went kicking and screaming. Hmm. It was the best decision I never made. It was exactly what I needed. It was a small town, really close, tight-knit uh, community. And they just surrounded me with all kinds of love. And so it was really what I needed at a time that I didn't know I didn't need it. And then all the people, like our athletic director, I used to go over to their house and have dinner with him and his wife. Like just people just was just super nice. Just and like Friday Night Lights, exactly. the Minnesota version. Exactly. <laughs> Love that show. Um, so uh, while you were playing, and I know that playing a, a sport, especially football, can just be all consuming when you're in college. And I imagine you were thinking you were taking it to the next level. Were you thinking at all about other careers off the field? Uh, to be honest, no. I think my number one focus was to play professionally. Yeah. And at the time, my mindset was really kind of a one-track mind. The only reason I went to college, honestly, was because I played sports. Mm-hmm. I didn't value education the way I did until I got to college and realized where my education could take me. Hmm. And, and so when I went to Winona, my, you know, you, if you would have asked me, well, what do I want to do with my life? And I'm like, hey, I want to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. That, was my, that was what I wanted to do. And the fact that I had an opportunity to play, play professionally after Winona was kind of like a godsend. I was a big guy. I played receiver, and I had a ton of injuries, but I was a gifted athlete at that time. And so I had an opportunity to play in Europe, and then I played in the Canadian Football League. But this was during a time in which you know the NFL lockout happened, so my opportunity to play in the NFL was missed. Hmm. I took the next opportunity, and I ended up in the CFL. Wow. Um, and, and you spent how many years? I was there on and off for about three years. Mm-hmm. Um, practice squad. Honestly, throughout my entire professional career, I was on and off with injuries. Hmm. So I tore my hamstrings multiple times. I tore ligaments in my toe, my quads. Mm. And I would get healthy enough to run my 40, to, to get in camp, and i perform, and then i get hurt. But when you're a 6'5 receiver that can run a 4'3", there's a lot of teams that are going to take a chance on you. And I always tell people I spent more money trying to play football than I did playing football. And I just... It was a dream of mine that I wanted to fulfill, and that's kind of what led me into kind of being to do what I do now, and that that's why health in sport is so important to me because I realized that because I didn't have my health managed well when I was growing up, shoulda, coulda, woulda, who knows if I would have been playing longer because if I would have had better health care in the beginning. You actually had a couple significant injuries early on, even before college, didn't you? I did. Like I went to school. At Carver Military Academy, it's a Chicago public schools, and actually today, 2022 is the first year Chicago public schools will have at least part-time athletic trainers 
at all the schools. Wow. For the first time in the history of the district. Uh-huh. When I went, there were no athletic trainers. And so I had three bulging discs in my neck. I got hit with my head down. I'm paralyzed on the turf. Mm. Miraculously, things started to come back. I got up. I walked off the, court, uh, off the uh, turf. And then my coach, hey, I think you just got a stinger. And I was back out the next possession. Wow. And so that was just not to his fault. He just assumed that I had a stinger. I was good. I was back out to go. But we didn't have medical support to help us make those decisions. The same incident happened when I was playing in college. I had an athletic trainer present. I did go to the hospital. I was diagnosed with my, uh, with my bulging disc. And it took me nine. I had to see nine neurologists. It was close to almost a year before I got back out. So do you believe that th- that initial injury in high school, if that had been treated differently, you might not have had additional problems? Oh, it would have been a dramatically, it would have been a completely different path. Hmm. And the, sa- the, the fact, I was almost out for almost double the time, the second time when I got my injury. And the path for me to get back was, was methodical. Mm-hmm. I, I had to see proper medical professional, I had to see proper care. I went through proper rehab. That should have happened the first time. But we didn't have medical support to help us at that time. So, okay, so you know this firsthand. You know this is a problem. You're seeing this. You're living it. At what point did you think to yourself, I'm going to do something about this? It was a lot later, actually. I ended up having my son of my own. And I started volunteering. So when I I first hung it up, uh, I was playing for the Saskatchewan Warfighters. Riders. That's when I tore my hamstring. And I come home to visit one of my best friends. He played for the New York Giants at that time. And I realized that I wasn't, I wasn't going to get back there. I wasn't going to get to the NFL. And, and my path to get back, I think my time playing professional sports was over. That's hard. Because my heart wasn't into it. Yeah. I called my agent at that time, and I'm like, hey, I got this idea. And I was starting to volunteer and coach for my son's team, and I realized that like, the priority of health and safety had not changed since I last played. Hmm. How and old were you? I was 24. Okay. And so I was just like, hey, I want to start this idea, start this company. I got this idea. And he's like, like tell me about the company. And he's, he's still trying to convince me to stay and play. Mm. Because I didn't get cut initially when I got hurt. I was actually due to report back that Monday because we were off for a bye week. And I told him, you know, tell them I'm not coming. I'm done. And he wanted to hear the story and what I was doing. And I told him, and he was like, well, that's a good idea. Like, how much money are you putting in? And I told him what I was going to do, and he matched me dollar for dollar. Wow. And, and was this, I mean, how did you describe it, Tim? Do you remember what your pitch was on the phone? It was, I was actually, it wasn't even Players Health. It was a company called Team Interval, and it was like a team communication system. So when I hurt my hamstring, I missed a meeting the next, like, a couple of days later. And it was really around communication. I was in an athletic trainer with our trainer doing some rehab on my injury, and I'm supposed to be. In a, in a receiver's meeting. Well, I missed that meeting and I got fined because I'm not there, but I'm actually where I'm supposed to be. But because of the lack of communication, we didn't have a system like an internet or a Slack that you would use today. And that was, where, that was the initial idea for uh, Team Interval was to be like an internal communication system for sports organizations. Huh. And this was in what year? This was in 20... 2020? I mean, uh, 2012. 2012. 2012. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so you decided to put some money in. Do you want to say how much? Yeah, it was about 80K. Okay. 
um, and you just went and got developers? Like, did you know how it was going to work? Did you have it all figured out? So I had, I knew exactly what I wanted to build. And this was my first entryway into technology and, and, and developers and building a product, taking it to market. And I got taken advantage of in a really big way in the beginning. Mm. So I had 160K, my 80 plus my agent, he matched me. We go out and we, um, we go to this developing firm. I tell them all about what I do. I have everything sketched out, documented. They quote me, 70K, we're going to get you an MVP, get you to market. A couple weeks later, hey, Ty, we, we underquoted you. Mm. Here's the new quote. And of course, I don't know. I'm thinking, hey, yeah, you're right. Maybe I should have been more clear, had more documentation here. And I pay the double. Mm. And I still didn't get to a finished product. That was my first six, that was my first six months into tech. Ouch. <laughs> wow. And, and I mean, that, but what you're describing, I think so many people can relate. And when you haven't had the experience and you don't have the expertise yourself, you're, you have to rely on others. A hundred percent. And that mistake, I value that mistake so much because I learned how to get a product to market after that. I hmm. taught myself some light coding. I, I, I immersed myself into how to get a product to market. Like Did they into, ever deliver? They didn't. They I didn't. ended up getting another firm to deliver and <sighs> getting, a, uh, getting the product to market. But literally, up until about a year ago, I was still running product for our company. Wow. Um, but no repercussions for that firm no. that kind of screwed you over. Exactly. <laughs> Dang. So what's your advice to, to other people who are just getting into this and don't have that kind of coding experience? Well, I'd say find a technical co-founder if you can. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, honestly, you need to find someone that understands this, understands technology and how to product development and actually can be a resource for you to help you find the right partner, to help you identify, know exactly what product requirements you have. Like it has to be meticulously documented and you need to know exactly what you want that MVP to be and then hold them accountable through the MSA process Like it just has to be over communication throughout the entire process. Mm -hmm. So you know what the bid is going to be in terms of this is what we want. This is how much it's going to cost me. And the buffer is already negotiated. Hmm. You can't go higher or lower than these 10 or 15 percent. Yeah, that makes sense. So did Team Interval launch and, and what happened? It did. I got a few organizations on board. Like our first clients was like, Southern Indiana University. I had a, I had a, it was about four or five universities and, and small division two organizations that we had. And the organization, it didn't, I think it made about $24,000. And I'm struggling to actually build a real business out of it because there were a few other competitors that had launched at that time. Like who? Like Team, Team Snap was our biggest competitor. Mm. They launched a free app. They'd raised a, a decent amount of money and they just took off. Hmm. And Team Interval was a, a team snap competitor at that time. So I learned about timing. You know, I learned about understanding business models and how you scale certain business models and having cash to, to, to grow quickly when you need to. Mm-hmm. And, but organically, there was a health management or injury reporting feature within Team Interval that was being used by our organizations. And that was really the inception part of Players Health and that these organizations were documenting injuries in this system and following a kind of a progression. And was that when the kind of ding, ding, ding went off exactly. for you? Like maybe this is actually the heart of this? Exactly. And this was, this was all timely because this is where Concussion, the movie Concussion came out with Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about injuries. All 50 states had, in, 
had passed new laws specifically around concussions. So injury management was, was the topic of every parent's sports organization or the industry's kind of on our minds at that point. Were you quick to, to, to pivot? Or sometimes it can be hard because you had this idea. It must have been a little difficult to walk away from the initial. It was super quick. Like I had the idea. I, it was, I think it was a Monday. And then I actually got invited to present the idea of, uh, of kind of the MVP person of Players Health at a pitch competition and won it. That Monday, I shut down Team Interval. <laughs> And I put another 60K into building out the prototype for Players Health. Wow. Like, <laughs> I didn't talk to my wife about this. She knows this. <laughs> Would never do that again. But th- that's how I-, I was. I was. The problem was still true for me at that point, which was health and safety was really important. And it wasn't being focused on. And it, it was really the North Star for me. So explain how Players Health was going to solve that problem or help. Our mission at Players Health has been the same since day one, which is how can we create the safest environment possible for an athlete to play the sport that they love? It started with injuries. So if I have an injury, I want to make sure that that injury, regardless of the injury, is handled the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And not in that the treatment is going to, I mean, we know the treatment's going to be different, but I want to make sure that the coach, the administrator, and the parent, that communication and what it will take for a kid to get back is the same. Mm-hmm. Are we collecting medical clearances? Have we have we done the proper steps before we say it's okay for that kid to go back? And the coach is not making that decision. The medical professionals are. Hmm. And so the inception, the, the idea of the MVP was athlete gets hurt, injuries documented, parent go get a medical clearance. Hmm. Clearance is back, kid can come back, and it's all documented. In, in an app form. Exactly. In a very unstructured environment as youth sports is. Like we live in the wild, wild west with youth sports. Hmm. Just think about like a youth baseball program. Kid gets hit with a ball, bunch of parents crowd around them, and then we all try to figure out what happened and, and, and assess whether that kid is fit to continue to play or not. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have the expertise to do that. At Players Health, we just want everyone to pause and go, kid has to be removed. We need a medical cl- uh, clearance, mom. When mom and dad pr- pr- provides a medical clearance, kid's allowed back to play. Were you always thinking youth in particular, or initially did you think this could apply to college? It was only well? youth. Okay. I knew that's where the biggest gap was. Okay. And are there no, I mean, it's just hard to believe, especially with the, when you look at the numbers of how many kids in this country participate in youth sports, there are no programs that really, you know, require a doctor sign off or, or any of these kinds of well, steps. Th- there are specific laws that require that now. So for concussions, very specific. We need a medical clearance before a kid returns back to play. There's proper return to play protocols. They have to be out for at least a week, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's now a constant, and we now know about it. So we need to be educated on it. But no one's really focused on it for, for the youth sector. Like, how do you provide resources that are affordable? It has to be affordable because these organizations don't have a ton of money. That's easy. And it has to operate in a very unstructured environment where, you know, the, the only thing that is really structured from a sports perspective is schools, mm-hmm. the school setting. Outside of the school setting, we're in the wild, wild west from a health management perspective because there are not enough athletic trainers to actually cover the number of kids that are playing youth sports today. It's amazing. Um, so, so Players Health in its current form launched in like 2016, Yeah, right? 
Um, what happened? Did did people get it? Did they start using it right away, or did it take some selling? On it your took part? a ton of time. Um, hmm. We first created our health management app, and that is still in existence today. Like mm-hmm. we collect hundreds of thousands of injury reports for millions of athletes now, and we have the largest injury database in youth sports. Wow! Like that's because we started with that. And then we started to realize that health and safety and to create the safest environment had to be more than just health. We had to think about the safety aspect of youth sports. Mm. And unfortunately, there's a long list of incidents that we all know about that have happened around, you know, abuse in sport and the prevalency of abuse and how we respond to it. And so we invested in that. We, we, we picked up the torch and we created an incident reporting um, platform that allows coaches, parents, and athletes to anonymously or privately report an abuse incident. What kind of abuse are you talking about? Emotional, physical, sexual abuse. Okay. Like 90% of the incidents that we see are athlete-to-athlete contact. You know, kid, these two kids are having a fight in a parking lot or a parent's barraging a ref. Mm. Like, how do you respond to those and how do you do it consistently? So I can't, I can't say this to this one parent. And I can't discipline another parent differently. We want to create a standard that says, if you violate these policies, this is how we're going to deal with you. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that that is standard across the board. It helps lower the liability of an organization. Okay. And so that was really the foundation of us going into the safety aspect. And that business really started to take off. We we started to track in uh, uh, getting abuse incidents, but organizations were going, well, can you help us? Now that we have the incident, we don't know what to do. Hmm. So we set up an investigative arm of our business. So that was, we just launched to the public our investigative our, uh, arm of our business about a few weeks ago. That's just happening now. Exactly. But when you first launched back in 2016, first of all, was it just you? Did you have a team? It was me, my co-founder, Chris Pasegan. Um it was about six of us. <laughs> and, and where did you begin? I mean, did you just start ta- calling schools and saying, hey, we have this available? How, how did it work? So we, I, I think I've, I've always been selling in a sense that like these are my people. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly in the marketplace. And I'm actually, at this time, I was actually sitting on the board of the Apple Valley Athletic Association having to deal with incidents and managing this stuff on my own. Mm-hmm. So background checks for coaches, definitely something we had to deal with. Abuse awareness training, concussion training, these are things that parents are now required to do, and we were managing it. So I'm, I, I'm living in youth sports, but also um, we, I, we moved the company from Chicago to Minneapolis to be closer to Sport Engine. So I walked in, I got introduced to Justin Koffenberg, the CEO of Sport Engine, with well, a former CEO of Sport Engine at that time, and I walked into this massive school. <laughs> it was an old school, uh, which is the Lighthouse Building uh, that they're currently based in now. And I saw 350 employees mm-hmm. supporting youth and amateur sports organizations. And so I had to figure out like, how these guys built this business. Right. And so a couple weeks later, me and my wife, she wanted to be closer to home. She's from Minnesota. Ah. And it was an easy sell. And yeah, our lease was up and we moved. So, and okay, so <laughs> there's so much there that I want to unpack. <laughs> First of all, if you want to know the whole Sport Engine story, we, we have that. We've had Justin on the show. It's an amazing story, how they built it and how, it, how long it took to take off and just the way that has grown. It's interesting because as you're describing some of the things 
that Players Health does, it, it there are some parallels and, and overlap, um, but not in a competitive sense. It's really just kind of additive to, what, to what they do. So were you already working on Players Health when you met up with, with Justin? I was. And this, okay. I was still in the inception phase in that we had not launched yet. Got we it. launched in 2016 mm-hmm. at the pitch, and uh, the pitch was this incubator that they had with sports tech companies, and we were in the first companies that they invited to be a part of the space. And so we launched at, uh, in the pitch in the back of Sport Engine. It was about a 100-square-foot office, and that was our first launch. We had a large um, noble school network just based out of Chicago. They were our first client on Players Health, and then it was, it was a grind from there. And, and, and I realized a couple of things. Sports organizations didn't spend a lot of money on risk management. Hmm. I, that was one thing that I learned in that they're not going to spend thousands of dollars on risk management. So it took us about three and a half years to learn that. Well, I learned that while sitting on the board of the Apple Valley Athletic Association in that insurance premiums started to skyrocket in the space. And during that time, I'm like, well, we're making our organization safer. How are we paying more for insurance? And our broker was like, well, the whole market is responding to all of these abuse claims. And, and he, he, he gave a really great analogy. He said, "Is abuse is like asbestos in our industry today, and that the risk is so uncontrollable where you used to have these like low frequency, high severity claims, mm-hmm. and now you're seeing high frequency and high severity claims in abuse. And the carriers are going, we can't predict this risk anymore and we're out. And so when you have a contraction of the market like that, we went from close to two dozen carriers supporting youth sports around abuse and concussion. Now there are only a handful that will write sports. That's when I started to realize that the foundation that we laid around health management and abuse prevention, all of the money and time we put into making that experience great and helping create a safer environment, that was the missing piece that the carriers didn't have when they wanted to write insurance. Tyree has hit on something big. How will it transform players' health? He tells us after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Is your bank a partner or simply a provider? In today's environment, businesses need a bank that can move quickly and act creatively. Platinum Bank understands the Twin Cities market, partnering with clients to overcome challenges and capitalize on opportunities. Their financial products and services are tailored to meet the unique needs of your organization. To learn how Platinum Bank can be an asset to your business, visit www. PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. Insurance was nowhere in Tyree's initial business plan for players' health, but he realized it could be the ticket to taking his idea to the next level. So we are a brokerage, and we have what is called an MGA. We're an underwriter. And so we represent our reinsurance capacity to to offer. See us as a quasi-carrier. So we, we, have a, we go direct on our sports organizations. We have other brokers that place business into us, just like a normal insurance company does. So we can write, we can write and underwrite it ourselves, or we can place it into other carriers uh, through our broker partners. How, um, how hard was it to set that up? Did you encounter a lot of market resistance? <laughs> I wouldn't say a ton of market resistance, but there's just a huge learning curve to be in the insurance industry. It's such yeah. a regulated environment. So I spent... I spent the better part of about three and a half years immersing myself into the insurance industry. Hmm. 
realizing how competitive we were. Like, had we started out just being an insurance company, nothing about us would have been special. Hmm. We wouldn't have had any insights that would, that, would, that would have been any different than any other insurance company. Because the way insurance companies underwrite before Players Health or today is you have a sports organization, you've been around for 10 years. Give me your claims. I'll look at those. And based on your past, I'll give you a rate that mm-hmm. says, all right, if you have operated like this over the past 10 years, then you should be good. Well, as you can imagine, with abuse, that's not a leading indicator to a USA Gymnastics situation. Okay, yes, we haven't had, we haven't had hundreds of incidents reported, so we should be good. Hmm. Well, do you have a mechanism to report? Is there a way for those incidents to, to bubble up or for you to communicate them? So there's a bunch of those things that weren't in place. So there was, it was impossible to recognize whether you had a volcano about to erupt in your organization, specifically around abuse. Mm-hmm. That's impossible with Players Health. Because you are collecting all that data in already. In real so time. So new patterns. Talk a little bit about the, the insights. What, with, you, you mentioned how much data you've collected. What do you know? What, what patterns have you seen? What have been the biggest surprises? Well, I think, this, I think the biggest surprise I think we have is that no one's ever done this. Hmm. And so when we think about injuries, for example, I, uh, we were just looking at a bunch of knee and head, head injuries. And like the amount of COVID data that we have on how injuries are happening with COVID, I think all of this is just allows us to get ahead of the claim. So say a knee injury happens or, or what we're seeing with face injuries or, or, or uh, if I got hit in the face or I got hit in the mouth with something, these athletes are going directly to the emergency room. They should be going to the dentist. Mm. And so we're just saying it's just a mismanagement of funds because the path of care is not going to the path that where they're, where they're going to get the biggest benefit. Yes, the kid got hit in the, hit in the face with a ball, teeth got knocked out, but I'm going straight to the emergency room. They're going to get referred directly to a dentist anyway, and I just spent how many thousands of dollars in that emergency room visit. So how does Players Health help in a situation like that? So specifically within our school setting, we make sure that the path of a care that an athlete goes is the best path of care. So mm-hmm. for that face injury, we're identifying key claims. Where are we spending the most of our dollars around injuries? And what preventative measures are we putting in place to make sure that those incidents are mitigated? So if we have a huge knee injury is... Um, a huge problem with knee injuries at the school, well, that's put in some preventative measures and actually provide incentives, more of a carrot to do some pregame stretches specifically mm. around, around knee, as opposed to always coming in with the stick. For the first time now, we can be an insurance company that comes with the carrot. If you implement these policies and protocols, here's the amount of savings that your organization could see just by doing these things. Right. And it's not money, it's just time. It's yeah. just, hey, coach, we're going to implement this new, knee, uh, this new ACL prevention uh, program, and it's five minutes before every practice. Hmm. And if we do this, we can save an extra 5%, which could be, it could be thousands of dollars for these organizations. What's the number one youth sports injury? It all depends. It, it could, it could, depending on the sport, depending on the gender, it, it's going to range. But I feel like we hear a lot about concussions, and there's always concern about that, it seems like, in, in every sport. Is there something else that you think really should be a, a bigger concern to, to parents and to coaches? Is it knees? Is it ACLs? I think my big three right now are concussions, knees, and mental health mm. in general. And so how are we dealing with concussions and making sure that there's 
that there's that we have a mechanism to not only identify but also getting get kids support and help. It's not oh go into a dark room and don't don't look at TV. Mm-hmm. There's a whole progressive plan that needs to happen and how these athletes return back to play. The amount of money in the U.S. that we are spending on knee injuries is in the matter. It's billions of dollars on knee injuries in youth sports. All of those injuries are preventable. Really? All of them. More north of fifty percent. Of, athlete, of all injuries in youth sports are preventable. Hmm. And so when we look at the amount of injuries that we have and the, the lack of progressive, the lack of stretching and planning that goes into making sure that these, everyone's not going into the same sports environment mm-hmm. where they have a strength and conditioning coach, where they're getting proper rehab, especially coming off of COVID where kids were in their rooms playing games and then they went right back into full activity incident rates start going up like crazy. Oh, interesting. And so these are all things with data helps us understand how do we get ahead of the claim? Mm -hmm. We look at claims and figure out, all right, this is what the history has been. What preventative plan could we put in place to make sure that those incidents don't continue on the same trend? Mm -hmm. What about mental health? How are you, how are you even tracking that? So we're not, there's a couple things. We have a a pre-participation evaluation where we're asking some of our collegiate athletes specifically around how are they feeling? Have they ever had thoughts of hurting themselves? Things like that. So those uh, surveys are in our platform. Also just helping educate more of coaches around how to have a conversation, how to get the best out of their athletes. The difference, the fine line, I sat on a panel talking about the fine line between tough love and and like motivational coaching Hmm. and how do we get the most out of our kids without making them feel less than. And so these kids are probably under the most amount of stress that they've ever been. And, and I have a 16-year-old, highly competitive athlete. The what amount sport? of He plays basketball. Okay. Like the amount of pressure that he puts on himself to be great, to be everything is – I'm constantly trying to reel him back going, hmm. your love, regardless of how much you do on this court, know that you can come. The only thing I care about is how you manage your emotions. Mm-hmm. Can you – know that you're enough just by going out, giving your all, and coming back. And we don't talk about that enough. And the recruiting NIL, there's so much social pressure to be great mm-hmm. at everything you do. And these kids don't have a place in the world specifically around sports unless they either, you either have to have a lot of money or you better be really competitive. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, the, that's, that's the accessibility issue in sports in that you can't just go out and play anymore. You either have to try out to play or you got to pay to play. Mm-hmm. So when you, um, when you launched Players Health, I could see parents being, you know, really happy to have this. I, I don't want to be cynical, and yet I do have to wonder if the coaches and associations are like, oh, man, this is, this is going to be a pain. This 100%. is going to keep kids off the fields and off the courts. Did that happen? We have a ton of pushback in that area. And I think in the beginning, I, me, with my heart focusing on like creating that safer environment, I wanted to control everything and try to make sure that they were coming into the perfect environment. Mm-hmm. Well, I've realized in youth sports, I talk a bit about the messiness of youth sports. You have to take it as it is and build process and protocol where you can, where it doesn't limit the likelihood that we're going to lose more parents of wanting to volunteer because you've now created all these hoops that they got to jump through to volunteer. So we have to make it easy. And 
now we're getting a lot more effective with our implementation because we're not trying to control everything. There's a couple things that we want to focus on when we implement with an organization. They're all must-haves. One, all my coaches have to go through background checks. They all have to go through abuse awareness training. They all have to do concussion training. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's a requirement. They all have to buy insurance. And the procurement process for me buying insurance is dramatically different today than it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I tell you how many athletes I have to sport, age group, you give me a rate. Now, you got to show me all your policies. You, gotta, you have to show proof that you're doing all of these things now. We help make that process easier for you. Mm. And so when it comes to what an administ- the administrator's responsibility to provide a safer environment or their standard of care for managing their athletes, we're helping take all of that off their plate. So now you don't have to worry about credentialing your coaches. We're going to credential them, mm. and they're going to pass through our filter first so that you don't have to worry about it. We're going to make sure they go through abuse awareness training, concussion training. All of that we're going to take off your hands, and we're not going to charge you more for it. You're going to pay less for that. Okay. So how many schools, organizations, teams are using Players Health today? Close to 50,000 now. Wow. All over the country or concentrated? All over the country, U.S. and Canada. Um, Our biggest sport right now is soccer. Hmm. So, you know, north of 60% of soccer in the U.S. are Players Health clients. Wow. Is that a surprise or...? Um, it, I think it's a surprise to a lot of folks in terms of how fast, and that happened over the course of the past two years. Uh-huh. And so a big, uh, soccer is a great example of the insurance market and how we were able to bring a solution that was holistic, that helped them get to a place where they could be cost, and co- cost competitive in terms of price. Mm-hmm. So Florida Youth Soccer was our first big state association client. That was a, a year ago. Oh, it was two years ago. We write almost 40 of those state soccer associations today. Hmm. So any organization that comes to you and wants to use Players Health, buying the insurance is a piece of it. Is that where you're making exactly. your money? Exactly. So it's, I call it the funding mechanism to the mission. When I first started Players Health, I wanted to give away everything we had because mm-hmm. I didn't want a financial burden. I didn't, want, like, I, didn't want the fi- I didn't want finances to be the barrier to create a safer environment for an athlete. Mm-hmm. I wanted these organizations to want to do the right thing and not let finances get in the way. <laughs> insurance is the must-have. You can't rent a court field or ice without having your insurance. Well, let's make sure that all of the things that you need to create a safer environment is wrapped into your total cost of insurance. But it allows us to be a real insurance carrier. We're now a real partner. So we only make money when you pay less claims. Mm. Our focus is to make sure that we help you mitigate risk so we don't have as many claims as, as our competitors. But we have to invest in that. And that's what we've done. So we've been able to create a platform that focuses on mitigating risk, health and safety. And when you buy your policy, say it's $500, you're now getting all of these services as a part of that. So you have competitors who are probably just straight up insurance companies, the old school where these teams used to go to get that necessary insurance. But do you have any competitors that are doing all the other things, all the other services and functions that, that Players Health offers? No, and, I, and that's really the differentiation for us. Mm-hmm. Today, before Players Health, all I did was sell you a policy and say good luck. And when you had a claim, your rate went up. Players Health is saying, we're going to help you manage all of this. And we're going to ensure that 
every incident you have, we understand why so that we can focus on prevention. So either your rates are stagnant, if they go up, they go up, but we know why it went up. It wasn't just because the market responded to what you were doing. And there's no additional cost for teams to, to use your platform. They're just paying for the insurance. No. There are certain slight costs, like the background check. Most of these organizations would normally pay $20 for the same background check we offer for 10 I see. So we've decided that we're not going to make any money on risk management. Mm-hmm. We're not going to make money on background checks. And there won't be any margin in that. Mm-hmm. We created our own abuse awareness training. Most organizations are paying 5 to $10 a coach to do that training. It's free with us. Concussion training, free. All of these things that organizations were being charged for, and there are whole businesses that operate on that margin, we're not going to generate revenue on that. We're going to generate revenue where us creating that safer environment matters. Mm-hmm. So if we provide insurance and you, we, you do a good job at managing the risk and we help you manage it, you'll have less claims, we'll make more money. It's so interesting because you clearly, Tyree, started this business and you intended it to be a for-profit business from the start, not a nonprofit. but you started with a mission. Correct. You were very clear on the mission and the purpose, maybe a little less so on how you were going to make money Correct. originally. Was that a, a barrier until you figured that out? Did you have, you know, did you try to raise money where people were like, well, I don't get the, the revenue model? It was a massive barrier. And I think our fundraising got easier when I went all in on the mission. Like mm-hmm. I was actually a, a lot more timid about our mission in the beginning because I didn't want to be perceived as this, you know, heart-led leader that didn't have an understanding around building economics to a big business. Interesting. And you have to make money. I now realize that because we were mission-based and we are mission-based, that's how we're going to generate a massive amount of revenue. And that's how we've been able to grow so much is that every organization that comes in contact with us, they see, yes, there's, there's tons of opportunity where we could be making margin here, margin there, margin there. We're making a conscious decision not to make money here to focus on kind of our core product, which is our insurance. Mm-hmm. And none of their other insurance pro- uh, partners or, 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 or competitors of ours operate that way. Hmm. Because they would have to say, we're, we're going to shave on margin to offer these services. And that's why it's really hard to replicate our model is that insurance companies are going to have to do something really kind of counterintuitive. They're going to have to say, we're going to s- not make money for a little bit invest in technology, infrastructure, risk management, and then we're going to give it away. Very hard thing for an insurance company to do today. Mm-hmm. Um, you've raised, I believe, according to uh, TCB Mag, uh, <laughs> like $28 million. Is it, is it, has it grown since we reported yeah, that? Yeah, it's a little over $30 million now we did on the Series B finance. Congratulations. What, what has that process been like, just fundraising in, in general? What have you learned? What, what are your observations about that process? I've learned uh, a ton. And, and every mistake I've made along the way has really helped me evolve and, um, and be successful today. It was a really long journey. It took me the better part of about four years to raise my first institutional financing. Mm-hmm. So most of the capital we've raised, we've raised over the course of the past three years. So our first Institutional financing was four and a half years ago. It was a seed financing led by uh, EOS Venture Partners and Will Ventures. And I had over $3 million of convertible notes that had matured at that point. And I had a whole process around recapping the business to make it fundable. That 
was the hardest six months hmm. in fundraising ever. But it was, I, I, I so appreciate the lessons that I've learned in not only getting all 37 investors on board with the new structure, but also making sure that I, that I was a man of my word and continue to grow the business afterwards. Was all of the fundraising after you figured out the insurance piece? Had you tried to raise money before you got into selling insurance? I did. And honestly, I was, I was, fundraising has never been a big issue for me. And I know a lot of founders would say that, but I raised close to three and a half million before our institutional financing from friends and family over the course of that three years. Mm-hmm. And you think people were investing in you and your passion That's for this? exactly what they were investing in. And because I didn't have a business model at this point. I had an idea. Mm-hmm had some ways that I thought we were going to make money and I kept pivoting and I can guarantee a lot of my investors are probably getting frustrated, but, but I refuse to give up. And I think the mission is the only reason why we're still here and because I was going, well, if I don't do it, I don't see anyone else that's going to operate in this space the way that, that I feel that I'm operating in the sense that I'm completely selfless in the mission. And if I make money ultimately in the end, great. But the, if, if I achieve the mission, I'm fulfilled. You referenced mistakes. What were some of those mistakes? Raising those convertible, raising the amount of money that I did on those convertibles were, I wouldn't say it was a mistake, is that I raised it too soon before I really had a business model. I would mm-hmm. have bootstrapped a lot, more, lot longer hmm. before I can continue to pour more capital into the business. Hindsight 2020, I can't do anything about the past, but how I structured those convertibles would have been differently today mm. based on what I know now. What did you learn from working with the sports engine team? What, what, what was the best advice you got from Justin Koffenberg? In the, in the beginning, it's okay for it not to be pretty. Mm. Like how they grew their team, how they grew their sales organization. Like it was, it was blocking and tackling in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then they scaled that to a certain point and that didn't look pretty. And they just continued to build process and, and evolve as we, get, as we go. And it made me feel okay with just like, all right, well, this product that I'm really ashamed about right now is, it's fine for now, as long as it gets you to the next step. And that's really kind of what I learned most with them. Hmm. Are there other um, incubators or programs that you did that were, that were helpful or impactful along the way? Oh, huge. I, I'm, this isn't, I'm not a self-made person at all. I think there's a whole community of people that have helped uh, Generator. We were part of Generator um, in 2015. Mm-hmm. Joe and Troy at Generator have been awesome, huge uh, advocates for me and continue to help me grow and make introductions. I've raised capital through, through that program. We went through Techstars, I think it was 2018, mm-hmm. learned a ton through that process. And each one was an, was an evolution. And I was pivoting the business all along the way. And like today, when it seems like, oh, wow, this is so smart, but we were just falling into this of trying to find money, really, trying to find a business model that would fund the mission. And here we are. Did you ever have a moment of thinking like, maybe I should just go take a job with a sports engine or some other company? I, I did your wife have those moments? Oh, my wife definitely had those <laughs> moments. I almost sold the business. So me and Justin, we had a chat. I was about to sell the business to Sport Engine. And I was like, man, give me 90 days. And I had called my co-founder and he was like, man, this is the lowest he had ever seen me because I'm an... I'm like a relentless optimist and, and I'm a faith-based guy. So like 
what I see doesn't always discourage me. And so I gave myself 90 days and kudos to Generator. Joe and Troy, they had me come and present at OnRamp. It's an insurance conference. It was just here a couple weeks ago. Hmm. And I presented and they put me front stage, prime time, and I presented the idea of what Players Health is today. I was open. This is an idea. And this was what year? Was this, this was in 2018. Okay. Which was in 2018. And I was like, this is the idea. We have all this data. We understand risk. This is sports. We love it. We want to create safer environments. And we know you all are having claims. You need this information. And this could help mitigate risk long term. And the response was like overwhelming. Hmm. So we end up getting a partnership with AIG. Um, there, there are a whole slew of um, connections that came off of that. But I almost sold the business for next to nothing. And then three weeks later, someone offered me $3 million for the business. Hmm. Wow. And you said no to all of I said no. All and of then, those. Exactly. And then, we, and then we went on this journey of now trying to create an insurance company. Yeah. That's when I knew I had something. Went all in on insurance. I flew all over the world literally all over the world, trying to understand insurance at a global level, hmm. where it came from, where it's at today, and where we could take it, specifically for sports and fitness, and, and then really started to build the team from there. There have to be moments where, where you're thinking of yourself and your trajectory, and all of a sudden you're like an insurance guy? <laughs> that wasn't the plan. <laughs> like, did you ever say to yourself, I don't, I don't really want to be in the insurance business. Maybe I should sell this thing or, or join forces with a larger insurance company. I did, but I, I, kept, I kept coming back to anyone that we would partner with, they'd have, to, they'd have to focus on the mission. And as soon as money gets in the way, everyone starts thinking about margin. and we tend to make short-sighted decisions when we're chasing money. Mm. And I think that was what I was most, what was most fearful of, especially as I started to look at partnerships. And, and very few people understand youth sports. Everything in youth sports is about being cost-conscious. I'm doing more with less. I'm getting volunteer individuals to come and invest in kids. It's all about being selfless. Mm. And so that's how we had to build the business. And so we needed to own it if we wanted to control that experience and make sure that the product that we brought to market actually represented like a selfless nature for us to build a big business. So I feel bad even asking, but I mean, it, it, are, you, are you making money yet? How, what are your projections? So we, we are making revenue. We are growing massively. You know, our first year in insurance, we did a million dollars in premium. Okay. And last year, we did just shy of seven, uh, just shy of six, uh, just shy of seven million. Mm-hmm. And this year, we'll do north of 40 million this year. 40? Yeah. That's it. How, how do you make that kind of leap in a year? I honestly, there's a couple of things that I think are, the market is really, this market is in a really tough spot. And honestly, youth sports doesn't exist without something like player's health. Player's health aside, claims are happening at a rapid rate. Mm-hmm. Huge severity in claims, so we're talking big payouts, and they're happening frequently. You have to manage it or youth sports will be uninsurable. Mm. Now, the day that that happens is the day that kids aren't playing sports. And the day that kids aren't playing sports in the United States or globally is a place that I want to live in. 
what what has changed? Is it is it just sort of the high profile cases like you mentioned, like with U.S. gymnastics or, or some of those things? Is that what's leading to to this change right now, or the momentum for a player's health? Honestly, we're cleaning out the closets, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're now at a place where it's it's relevant in terms of what's happening. There are now a standard of care that we're now being that, that you can point to, organization, you should be following the Safe Sport Act. And the Safe Sport Act says that you should be managing these things in this way. And when you don't, I now have lawyers that are soliciting parents saying, has this ever happened to you? And they're going after the insurance companies. Hmm. And so, so is it just the, the market momentum, would you say, or are there certain things that you've done? I, I feel you know, as a reporter paying attention to, to startups in our own backyard, I've been much more aware of you in the past year. What, what happened? Did you, did you get a publicist? You just won Entrepreneur of the Year for the Heartland Edition. You're headed to the Nationals. That's amazing. Great exposure. What, what's happening right now that's really boosting players' health? Honestly, it's a collection of like seven years of us being intentional about everything we've done. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing kind of the fruits of the labor. Like, and, and we're now being unapologetic about how we got here, all the mistakes. And I think people, it resonates with people because it's real. And so I, I don't know if I can put like specific words to it. It's, it's truly seven years of being intentional, being very focused on what we want the outcome to be and doing whatever we have to do to make sure that that is possible. And it has nothing to do whether will we make any money or not. We're going to make it a massive amounts of money, but it's really, it's all directly correlated to our mission. So for every policy we sell, we help another organization. Mm-hmm. We've now found that happy medium where I could just be just as passionate about selling a policy as I, does in, if I, do, as I do in supporting an organization. Mm-hmm. So we now have something that allows me to be motivated in a way that's pretty scary because once I'm on a mission, it's over. (laughs) And luckily, our mission is directly correlated with the amount of policies that we sell. If somebody had told you back in 2012 when you you made your first investment in in coding and and going down this entrepreneurship path that it would take this long to, to get to this point of momentum and clarity, would you have still done it? Yeah, my whole life has operated this way. I always tell people when they're about to join me or start with me, I've never, nothing has ever come easy for me in my life. So if you're joining this with me, expect adversity. Hmm. And we're, it's going to make us better. Do you feel more today like an like a entrepreneur than an athlete? Or do they go hand in hand? That's a good question. Um, I'd say they go hand in hand. I'm, I still see myself as, a, as an athlete. And I, th- I get emotional when I think about what sports has done for me because like, I think about my relationship with my son. We wouldn't have, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to be as vulnerable with my son without going through this both athletic experience that I had because he's an athlete, but also the entrepreneurial spe- uh, experience because it made me a different person. It made me a different man. And it, 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 it forces me to operate from a place of integrity and be heart led and, and just be different mm-hmm. in my own unique way. And so, yeah, I'd say I'm both athlete and entrepreneur. The journey of both is kind of melding me and who I am today. 
do is is there anything that you knowing that you would end up here anything you would do differently to to prepare i don't no i think there's a bunch of things that i would have done differently in terms of how i chose people to be around me Mm. outside of that all of the lessons that i learned allow me to be a lot more effective today in growing the business to the next stage. Like had I not learned those lessons, I wouldn't be as effective today. Yeah. Like there's a lot that I've seen. There's not one role in the company that I've, like I've been customer success, like sales, every role in the company. You've done it all. Exactly. And no so, a little HTML. Oh, everything. <laughs> I've raised reinsurance capacity. Like I've had to deal with all of that. And now I'm bringing in a team that is like, it's, it's, it's an amazing team that I'm like, well, you joined me? I can't believe it. <laughs> but, but that are 10 times better than me in all of these things. What is your sweet spot? What do you enjoy the most? I love product and sales. Yeah, if I can be around product all day and talk to people and talk to our administrators and coaches and such every day, I'm happy. What are your goals for players' health in the next year or five years? Well, our goal for this year is we want to be in the top 10 brokerage MGAs in sports. In the next 10 years, we'll be the largest globally. The largest provider of yep. insurance for youth sports yep. in this country. Do you, do you see a world in which youth sports become safer? Do they become nicer? Do they become less cutthroat? Um, is that possible? I think the vision really is... We see a world that it's just conscious of everything that's around. Because we've operated in this place where a lot of, like, we just, all right, we dropped our kids off and it was just whatever. Now everyone is becoming a lot more aware Mm -hmm. of how we need to operate in youth sports, how we need to ref, how we need to be a parent and support our kids and help them fail and grow and all those things that they need to do. As an administrator, what do I need to do? So I think we're just trying to create a place of awareness where the North Star is what should it look like? We don't, no one has up until this point has had an example. We're going to show it to them. This is what it should look like so that you understand where you're, where you're falling short and you have a bunch of people that are not judging you that want to help you get to that, that, that place. Hmm. That's great. That's great. It's amazing what you're doing and it seems like you're having a lot of fun along the way. Oh, it's been it's been a blast. I'm um I'm enjoying every second of it. Do you ever think about how your own um, athletic journey might have been different if players' health had existed when you were a kid? I do. I think about that a lot, especially specifically around my injuries. Um, I made a lot of questionable decisions in playing because, I, like sports, was just it was so it felt like life and death if I didn't play, mm-hmm. and it, it truly was in certain ways because. Like, I don't know where I would have ended up had I not found sports. Like, I grew up with four other guys that we hung out with every day. And of those four, three have passed on, and one just got out of prison from over, you know, been in prison for over 13 years. I was the only one out of our group that found sports and found, like, a place, an avenue. Wow. And that, that was the difference. And those are the odds. You know, if, if it's 10 of us, Maybe one get out. Yeah. And what am I going to do now that I'm in a position where I can help people? Yeah. I, I was going to say, I mean, how, how, how do we change that so that 
so that sports can can be fun and it, and it's a wonderful path for for some people, but that's a very small group of people that have the kind of talent that that you do. Yeah, and well, that's a it, it's a it's a complex solution for a really complex problem. Mm-hmm. Me growing up in Chicago, where I grew up, like there, the amount of the avenues of access to positive stimuli are are limited. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was a lucky one. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, lucky us that you decided to build this here in the Twin Cities. Uh, it's, it's it's an amazing story, and uh, I just wish you the, the best of luck as you continue to grow and scale. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. What a great story, and obviously still evolving. Keep your eye on players' health. I think there's going to be a lot more announcements coming from this local startup. You heard Tyree say that he really started with a mission. But what happens when it doesn't play out the way you thought it was going to? Well, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship and ask Professor John McVeigh, what do you do when it doesn't play out the way you thought it would? Well, this is a a wonderful example of some of the most important things in life always are contradictions or dichotomies. And what what I see when I hear this story, when I hear Tyree's story, is this ability to hold really, really tight and fast and commit to a mission that really matters. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, holding really loosely to your strategy mm-hmm. and being very flexible about amending and learning and changing. And that is a sign of grit, intelligence, and curiosity to be able to do that. It is very hard for us as people yeah. to be able to do these two. It's almost like you know, rubbing your tummy and tapping the top of your head. <laughs> You're trying to do these two opposite things at the same time. Are we sticking truly to what we started this for? And oh my God, we're going to do this in an exactly different way through the insurance business that actually I never thought of before and I knew nothing about. Yeah, it's really amazing how he's pivoted. Of course, everything Tyree does, he comes from the vantage point of being an athlete. It's core to who he is and how he approaches things. So often we hear sports metaphors in business. What do you take away from his story? Well, they're, they're, I think they're good and bad ways of using sports as a metaphor for business. Metaphors are not completely true, right? They're examples for us to change our thinking. I, I, there's some ways that I think are harmful, and I'll sort of go through what I think is, is, is not a good way to use sports as a metaphor for business or entrepreneurship, and what's a better way. And the first way is to say, you know, business uh, entrepreneurship is a war of all against all. That's what it's like. It's like sports, just mm-hmm. like war against war. And <laughs> We hear from this story, that's not really what either the business or the sport is about. Uh, when he talks about his son, it is really noticeable. He goes, his son is clearly a very talented athlete and probably you assume from his background has got a chance of, you know, making it, ma- making it as, a, as a professional or something. Mm-hmm. But he judges him not by how he manages the game, but how he manages his emotions mm. when he's facing adversity in game. That, you know, sport is just a vehicle for our personal development. Mm -hmm. And and the same is true for entrepreneurship. So another way that um, is, is, you know, I don't think helpful is sports all, winner take all. Mm -hmm. That's all that matters. Winner take all. Right. But actually, again, you you hear from his story and you hear from his sporting uh, life that 
participation. There are many, many more people participate than ever win in both sport and in business and entrepreneurship. And the people who are participating is where the most of the gains come from. The people who ultimately never get the big prize, never get the publicity. Hmm. And so that's just also a really um, somewhat corny uh, uh, truism about both sport and business is that the participation ultimately is more important than the winning. Um, Another one is I love where he says, you know, chasing the money can make us make really bad mistakes. Well, I think the metaphor for sports is perfectly true, which is chasing the scoreboard, the points on the scoreboard is a very bad um, sports strategy. So what's better? Well, you've got to manage the strategy of the game. You've mm. got to look in the long run and see what how the other team are playing and what you're going to do differently. If you're just going for the next cheap point, you're probably not going to win the game down the line. Mm. And so the same thing is true in entrepreneurship. Strategy matters, not just chasing the money, not just chasing the scoreboard in the short run. The big win is in the strategy. Absolutely. Changing the game. Absolutely. And then perfection. You know, sport as this quest for perfection, for human perfection, I think it's a very harmful metaphor. And also when it's brought into, you know, brought into entrepreneurship, we accept no failure, you know, zero tolerance for failure. Failure is how we learn. Right. And failure is all how he transitioned from being a little social media platform for parents with a kid with knee injury into one of the fastest growing insurance companies in sports. Uh, you know, if he hadn't failed several times and learned from those, he would never have made that transition. So the, the quest for perfection is really not what either sports or business ought to be about. Mm -hmm. But he's definitely got that competitive drive. Absolutely. And, and the last thing is, it's not just about out-competing the competition by hitting the ball through them or hitting it hard or, or charging through that wall. My favorite metaphor for, for, for sports is um, success comes from hitting it where they ain't, mm. hitting it where the competition is not. That's harder to do. <laughs> yeah, and he's doing it in this amazing yeah. market yeah. that he knew nothing about. He's actually got an advantage. No one else in this insurance market can provide a way to both give you a good insurance policy and reduce your risk at the same time and your costs. Right. He's hitting a ball where they ain't rather than just trying to run through a brick wall. So I think, yes, yeah, sports is a fabulous way, a fabulous metaphor, but we've got to make sure that our metaphors are, are used to their best advantage, not to the worst cliches. Great advice. John McVeigh from the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. Thanks so much for your perspective. Thank you. And thank you for listening. If you want to know more about the show and if you want to go back and listen to our Sports Engine episode with Justin Koffenberg, that would be a good one to pair with this. You can find them all at tcbmag.com slash by all means. Thanks again to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. But thanks to you for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. 
Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business, and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Associate Dean Laura Dunham for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means.